0: If you have a Bible, let's turn to Matthew chapter 4 today. Matthew chapter 4. Word of warning, I went to the eye doctor uh, two weeks ago, and she diagnosed me as being old and told me to wear reading glasses. So, (laughs) (laughs) my pride might prevent them from making an appearance, but they... They should be warned. Um, we, we've been talking, we started last week um, talking about Advent. This is the second week of Advent. And um, today we are talking again about the reality of Christmas. But this week we're talking in terms of Jesus, our light. And today we gather with one mind and in one accord to remember the hope and the light that we have in Jesus Christ. And as Don was alluding to, this is especially important for us in light of the devastating uh, fires that we experienced this last week. Um, last Sunday, uh, the first week of Advent, Don, Dominic taught on um, the reality of Christmas, Jesus, our hope. And if you weren't here last Sunday and you didn't hear that message, this is a good time for our community uh, to really get, to learn about the hope that we have in Jesus. Go to realityventura.com, it's on there. Uh, current sermon uh, tomorrow. It won't be the current one. It'll be the last week, So, um, but just find that. You want to you definitely check that out if you weren't here last week. Advent is a time of remembering. We remember that Jesus came, right? We remember that Christ came as a baby. We remember that he lived a perfect life and that he died on the cross as a gift for us. Advent is also a time of anticipation where we look forward to, with hope, with longing even, We look forward to the time when Christ will return. And so we recognize kind of this in-betweenness in which we live. The time, the season in which we live is this in-between time. We live in light of the cross. We live in light of the future hope that we have in Jesus Christ's return. And so today we're going to set our minds and our hearts on the light of the world. Let's consider Jesus who is our light. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. It says that Jesus withdrew into Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He came and he settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles. There the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. Those who were sitting in the land of shadow and death, upon them a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Church, this is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you've given to us, God. We thank you for the, the hope that we have in Jesus, and we thank you for the light of Jesus. We pray now, God, in the midst of of distraction, and tragedy, and, and loss, and sorrow, and all the mixed emotions, and um, God, that you, Holy Spirit, would, would focus us, that we would receive, and that we would commit ourselves to the light of Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you. I pray that your word would, would dwell deeply within us today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this idea of a people sitting in darkness and experiencing a great light has special meaning to many of us in light of this last week. At times, at my house, I know the smoke obscured the midday sun to the point where the automatic headlights would come on on the car. Like in the middle of the day, you know, clear sky otherwise, the headlights were coming on, the the streetlights would have come on if we had power, right? There was this near-darkness when there should have been light. After being evacuated on Monday, um, my family, we kind of lived at the church here for a few days with other families that evacuated here. And I spent the week caring for my family and helping make big breakfast for everyone that was here. I spent a lot of time watering my roof and watering the roofs of my neighbors as things blew through my neighborhood. Running back and forth. My chest hurt. My eyes still hurt. Right There was this unnatural darkness There was this event that happened in our community that we all experienced physically, emotionally. Many of us are exhausted. There was this weird, unnatural, creepy form of darkness that should not have been there. It's more than a little ironic as I've been preparing to speak about Jesus being the light. That I sat in this unnatural darkness watering my shingles, right? But Jesus is our light. And church, this is such good news. Because without Jesus, humanity dwells in an unnatural darkness. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Apart from God's grace, we dwell in darkness, having no way of possibly ever earning God's favor on our own. No way of saving ourselves or fixing our brokenness. Apart from God's grace, apart from God's grace, we dwell in darkness. We're a people who were created to live in the light, right? We're a people who are created to live where the sun shines, especially us here in Ventura. We're created to live with God, but our sin separates us from God. Our sin keeps us in an unnatural darkness. Apart from God, although we're created to live in the light, we dwell as humanity dwells in unnatural darkness. And so God did what we were unable to do. God has done what humanity is incapable of doing. And this is the true story of Christmas, that God gave us the gift of himself, that he himself stepped out of heaven to save us, that Jesus came to earth as the perfect and acceptable sacrifice for our sin. Living a perfect life. Dying sacrificially. Taking the punishment for our sins. The just dying for the unjust. The light dying for those who dwell in darkness. God loved us so much, the Bible says, that he sent a son to die for us. The Bible says if we confess our sins, right? If we confess the darkness in which we dwell... And we put our faith in Jesus that we're transferred into light. See, we were created to live in the light and Jesus' death allows us to be restored back into the light, back into the relationship for which we were created to dwell with God. The Bible talks about followers of Jesus, in fact, as being the light of the world. And I think there's this real sense in which there's a fascination with light. Uh, Even in our culture today, uh, this week I've had a fascination with light, right? I couldn't wait to be where the sun wasn't this weird dark orange, right? Because that meant that I would have a chance to not have to breathe through a mask. That meant that my eyes wouldn't burn. That meant that I had a chance to have some of my, my energies restored. Jesus spoke in these terms. He spoke in terms of light and darkness, He referred to this light as the kingdom of heaven, right? When Jesus came to earth, he brings, in a sense, this kingdom with him, this kingdom of heaven. It could be referred to as the kingdom of light. In our passage today, we see Jesus breaking into a dark place, breaking into a godless place, An inbreaking of God's life. The kingdom of heaven breaks into the darkness of humanity. And this idea of heaven, right, the lightness of heaven, is fascinating in our culture today. Um, People are fascinated by heaven. There there are a lot of books recently that have been written by people claiming to have experienced heaven or seen heaven, you know, pop their head in and look around. And I was listening to a TED Talk uh, recently, and the person giving the presentation, right, it was titled, What Does Heaven Look Like?, right? They didn't share one Bible verse in the entire talk, but what they were doing was uh, just referring to modern accounts of people that had, you know, claimed to have popped their head into heaven. And they said the universal description of heaven, the one thing that is always true, is that heaven is this place of light, always associated with light. The presenter at one point said, you know, even more fascinating than the idea of what does heaven look like, what's more fascinating to me is how does heaven work? It was an interesting confession from this person because that question exposes a much deeper uh, question relating to the existence of God. Is there a God controlling heaven, right? Is there a strategy to heaven? And you, of course, you know and I know that the Bible reveals the strategy of heaven, right? Jesus calls it the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus speaks about the kingdom of heaven more than 30 times in the book of Matthew. It's interesting to study Jesus' teaching ministry because this kingdom of heaven comes like no other kingdom has ever come. It's an unconventional kingdom, right? And this light of the world that came to the world is an unconventional light. It's not a light that's controlled by a switch. It's not a light that comes up at dawn and sets at dusk. It's a light that came in unexpected ways. And Jesus' ministry is fascinating for us to study because He's so unconventional. This past week, it seemed as if we were dwelling in darkness. In the midst of this darkness, we got to experience, in a sense, I've had a lot of time to think about this, so bear with me. It's an analogy. There's this sense of as as I was at my house and I would come back to church and there would be another group of people dumping off unthinkable amounts of puddled water and clothes I'm like oh what are we going to do with the clothes okay just bring them in you know and they're like no one else will take them there's already so much stuff there's already so many volunteers there was this sense where people were moved into what we would call disaster relief mode, right? We, get, we snap out of our regular routines, and now we become all about helping other people in need. We got to experience a little bit of that and see some of that, this overwhelming outpouring of light in our city. This unnatural darkness caused us to act differently this week. We acted unconventionally. See, Jesus lived in this disaster mode the entire time he was on earth. Jesus didn't seek comfort for himself. Jesus wasn't thinking about his personal happiness. Jesus was living selflessly to help rescue people from this unnatural darkness. To help rescue people from spiritual disaster. He definitely did not follow any of cultural or societal or religious rules in the way he ministered. Because he wasn't out to win people over. Jesus was out to save people from real destruction. Now could you imagine uh, the way Jesus ministered? Just imagine being Jesus's PR guy, right? It would have been a nightmare. He offended all the wrong people right? You don't offend the wealthy and influential people if you're trying to build a following and start a movement, right? But Jesus did. He he wasn't out to raise money for himself. He wasn't out to promote himself. He was out to save people who were stuck and dwelling in an unnatural darkness. And in following Jesus, Any one of us wishing to follow Jesus, we're going to live a life that's going to seem very peculiar to the world around us, similar to the way Jesus lived his life. Jesus' life was very peculiar. His goals and definition of success was very different than the culture around him because Jesus lived his life with the disaster response mindset, right? I don't want to make myself comfortable while the fire is raging in my neighborhood, I want to put a mask on and go help save my neighbor's homes. I want to make sure people are being rescued. This is how Jesus lived his life. In light of the spiritual darkness raging in the world around him. We've been studying the book of Matthew as a church for two years now. And we've seen Jesus' ministry at work. We've studied his teachings. We've seen that Jesus' strategy is connected to this idea that he refers to as the kingdom of heaven. That Jesus uses the phrase kingdom of heaven more than 30 times in the book of Matthew. Right? Elsewhere in the New Testament, it's called the kingdom of God. And in our text today, we see this great light dawning. Right? This idea that the kingdom of heaven is brought to earth. And the visual uh, picture that it paints for us is that this, there's this light dawning, this kingdom of light brought to a dark world. And so it it challenges us to think a little bit about heaven because most of the world when we talk about heaven, they think of this like ethereal place that we go when we die, right? Like heaven is this kind of future event, but that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that the kingdom of heaven was brought to earth. He taught his disciples to pray, may the kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. That heaven is this present reality. It's this present light that dwells where Jesus is. Heaven is a present reality. That the kingdom of heaven would be brought to earth. And that as as children of light, as children in whom, as the Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians, Jesus Christ has made his home in us, it says. That we then are, are the light. We then are this, this beautiful picture of light that goes out into the world. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is in you. He, it's a powerful idea, it's a powerful picture. So simply put, the kingdom of heaven is simply where God reigns. The kingdom of heaven is the personal rule of God, the the personal presence of the king. Now, Jews back in Jesus' time, uh, they would have found hope in this idea of the kingdom of heaven. All their hopes and all their dreams were bound up in this idea that someday God's kingdom was going to come on earth as it was in heaven. The Jews got that. They were all about this Messiah that was going to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth and God would rule the whole earth. The the Jews actually believed that that the entire world would be under the direct rule of God, and they longed for it. All over the Old Testament, you see it, over and over again, longing for this Messiah, perhaps not more than in the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah reveals this longing the most in many ways, and over and over, these kingdom promises are described in Isaiah. The, The hope that one day God will come. And Matthew quotes Isaiah many, many times in his gospel. And what Matthew's trying to say, what he's trying to communicate by quoting the book of Isaiah, is he's saying that Jesus is the one who brings the promises of God's reign to earth in himself. Jesus is the fulfillment of this reign of God on earth. Jesus comes to earth and inaugurates his kingdom. And as we know, because we have scripture, Jesus will return to consummate the kingdom. And so we live in this, uh, this tension, right? This already having come, you know, and with this not yet come. The church lives in this in-between season. And in our text today, we see a snapshot of the light of heaven that comes to earth in the person of Jesus. And We see throughout the New Testament that the kingdom of God goes wherever Jesus goes. It's really easy to look over in our text today, so we're going to look at it real closely. If you look at verse 13, it says that Jesus... It says, he withdrew into Galilee, leaving Nazareth. Okay, so what Jesus is doing is he's moving north. He's moving out of Nazareth where there was, uh, for, what, for what Nazareth was, there was a relatively large synagogue with a healthy Jewish uh, presence, a healthy religious life in Nazareth. And he pulls out of Nazareth and he goes up to Galilee. It says, he came and he settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea. Now, Capernaum is in the heart of Galilee. And this is significant, that Jesus would move himself physically and move his ministry to Galilee. Now, I grew up on the East Coast. And uh, in New York, it, it matters where you're from. People want to know, like, what part of town you're from. And you're sort of viewed within that context. Geography uh, is, is significant when you're trying to pin someone. Like, is that the kind of person I want to hang around, right? Is that the kind of person that my, I want my daughter to date? You know, in New York, they'd be like, well, I don't know, where does he live, right? As, like, as if that matters. But it's, it's important there. Well, ancient Israel had a, a similarly strong sociological uh, perspective on geography. Where you're from was significant. And so Jesus, we see him choosing to launch his ministry, live in, launch his ministry in in Galilee. It would have been scandalous to religious Jews. Galilee was far north, far removed from Jerusalem. Why would he move further away from Jerusalem? It was also very distant in in a religious sense from Jerusalem. It was very distant politically. There's a, a Roman road that went through Galilee And so uh, in the Jewish mind, they viewed Galilee as this place where the outside Gentile world kind of bumped up against and rubbed shoulders with the Jewish world. And so many Jewish people looked down on Galilee. It was seen as this impure place. And there was this religious group, a really strong kind of religious right group of Jesus' day. It was a, a pressure group, really. And they were called the Pharisees, and they were scandalized by Jesus. Even where he lived was scandalous. They thought Jesus was talking to all the wrong people. Jesus was inviting all the wrong people to follow him. He was appealing to all the wrong people because Jesus had moved himself to Galilee and he's pursuing these marginalized, scandalous people, these unpopular people, tax collectors, prostitutes. Jesus went to the people that the Pharisees were fleeing from. It's not very different than our modern culture, the way, the way we tend to function in our culture in the U.S. Most of our initiatives, I know me personally, just confessing to you, most of my personal initiatives, uh, what I mean by initiatives is uh, where I live, the people who, uh, who I choose to hang around, what kind of how I define my life. These initiatives are based on my personal happiness. What's going to make me happy? Uh, happiness is usually the most significant factor in making my life choices. I'm I'm just being honest with you. It's horrible, and I need to guard against that. But for example, like 15 years ago, when Joray and I were looking for a house, uh, I wanted to find a place where I could walk or ride my bike to the grocery store, right? I wanted to be able to go to at least two or three coffee shops, none of which would be a Starbucks, you know. I I wanted to have live in a neighborhood where there were front yards, where people were out front, and you could, like, get to know your neighbors, and, you know, there was a sense of community kind of thing. There was sort of this ideal I had in my head. But I had this, like, checklist, you know. And my, my, it was motivated by my personal happiness. Now, there are people that not only are motivated by happiness, but perhaps are motivated by a sense of self-importance or, or identity where they want to live in a bigger house or in the right neighborhood or they want to associate themselves in a positive way uh, by living in the right neighborhood. See, the big choices we make in our life are often made based on our personal happiness or our sense of self-importance. We have to be careful. We have to guard ourselves against this because where we live is important. Where we live matters. Jesus didn't move to Galilee because of his desire for personal happiness, right? Jesus didn't have any of the barriers that I have that prevented him from living in a rough area or a bad area. Jesus was okay to do life around bad people. See, in our culture, we separate people from us that that we don't agree with or that are different from us that we don't want to be around. And the Pharisees were like this in Galilee. When, when the Pharisee would go all the way up to Galilee, he would like gather his robe up, right? not letting it touch the ground, and, and hold himself tight like this, and he would weave his way through the crowd because he didn't want to be touched by or contaminated by this kind of filthy people, this people that called themselves Jews, but were not living in a way that was right to them. The Galileans, in turn, despised the Pharisees. This happens in our modern U.S. culture, too. People groups are always trying to identify other groups that are different than them and then separating themselves from that group. And you see that economically, you see that socially, you see that racially, you see that politically. Huge political divides. I don't agree with them, so I'm going to separate myself from them, and I'm going to develop a vocabulary that separates myself from them even further, right? Our culture is all about this separation from people we don't agree with, people that don't further the things that I believe in. And if we're not careful, it can even happen in the Christian culture, too. We have to be very careful. See, guys, last week, this past several days, the boundaries of social separation have come down for many people here in the city of Ventura. God is shaking our city. There's an opportunity uh, presented to the Christ follower, to, to those in whom the light of the, of the world dwells. There is an opportunity that presents itself to us that perhaps may never present itself again. We, we have a unique time right now to be the light of the world. And in many ways, these, these barriers have fallen, and God is saying, go, be. And so what traditionally keeps us from doing that is the way we look at other people or the way we develop assumptions of, uh, of, on other people. There, there are two ways that, that I uh, walk into a group. One, I can either walk into the group thinking, what do they have to offer me? Or the other way I can walk into the group is what do I have to offer them? I, I'm either thinking one way or the other, right? I'm either in the spirit or I'm in the flesh. This is why it's hard to grow community groups at church, Right? Because if you're anything like me, I walk into a group and I look around and I'm like, nope, this isn't the group for me, right? <laughs> and there's 150 reasons why. <laughs> that turns into a polite email to one of the pastors like, nah, actually, I'm not as busy on Wednesday, or as, as available on Wednesday nights as I thought, right? But it's because we, we went into a group of people and we're like, wait, these people aren't going to serve me. I have true needs in my life. These people are older than me. They're younger than me. They're in the same season of life. I'm looking for babysitters. I'm looking for, you know... We, we go into a group of people and, like, what do they have to offer me? That, that's my mindset so often. So our goal should be to go into a group of people and ask, how can I serve this group of people? See how it just totally changes our perception? When we go out into our communities, we need to remember to ask ourselves, how can I serve? I need to choose to see people as someone who needs to be served by Jesus. What if we looked at Jesus' life, and we really studied where he went, and we looked at his life, and we really studied with whom he, uh, he, he chose to surround himself? See, when we do this, we see that Jesus goes to, this is crazy, Jesus goes to the complicated people. Jesus goes to the outcasts. Jesus goes to the sinners, right? Jesus didn't separate himself from people who weren't pursuing a righteousness in their life or people who weren't pursuing a holy lifestyle. Jesus went to those people. Jesus brought his light to people who were living in darkness. He went to the dark places. See, allowing ourselves to see Jesus in this way helps us because it helps us shape who we are and how we function in the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In Matthew chapter 5, in my Bible, I don't even have to turn the page. It's on the next page over. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to how Jesus is talking to his followers the Sermon on the Mount. Dang it. Here we go. <sighs> Not embracing it. Jesus says, you... Are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Listen to this next sentence. You are a city set on a hill, right? You're the light of the world, a city set on a hill. Think about what that represents. You can't cover up a city on a hill, right? You're the light of the world, a city set on the hill. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand and gives its light to all who are in the house. Verse 16, listen to this beautiful exhortation. He says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and not glorify you, right? Let them see your good works in such a way that it glorifies your Father who is in heaven. Man, at this moment, church, our community needs the light of Jesus brought to them. This is a time of darkness for many in our community. We sat in a real darkness, this unnatural darkness this last week. As this smoke plume and it seemed like the flames were engulfing our city and covering our city, now that the sun has returned, there are still people who are dwelling in darkness, hopelessness, People who are even not just struggling with discouragement, but are falling into despair even. This is not a time for us to be in busy Christmas season mode. This is not a time for us to be busy Christians, busy shopping, creating lists. This this isn't a normal year for us. Now is the time for us to be the church. Church. Now is the time for us to be the light, to be this city on a hill that Jesus is talking about. Now is the time for us to be the kingdom of heaven here on earth. See, for the sake of our neighbors who are in despair, for the sake of our neighbors who, although the sun shines, they're left in darkness, let's bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. See, we do this by allowing the word of God and the power of God to form our thoughts and to shape our actions. We submit ourselves to the Word of God. We go, how did Jesus move? Where did Jesus live? Where did He spend His time? So we allow the Word of God to form in us. So this is as significant a moment as we're ever likely to see. We should be going from this place today, church. I hope we're going from this place today to be among people who dwell in darkness. To serve people who need hope. There are big ways that many of us are going to be called to do this, right? Some of you are real movers and shakers. You've got big ideas and administrative gifts. Some of you are contractors. You're going to be building houses and like out in the community and you kind of know the people to get you out there. There's some big ways many of us are going to be serving. There are also some pretty small ways that you're called to serve too. Listen, this is important. Some of you might be called to walk down your street and just check in on your neighbors, right? I remember on Monday night, we were, we were in the van driving to the church, and it was unthinkably nasty, smoky, fire right there at the end of our street kind of thing. And um, I was like, I wonder if she's awake. And I just went next door. She was not awake, you know? And I'm like, well, I wonder if the other neighbor, she was not awake either. I was like, holy geez, I, you know, like, what am I thinking, right? I mean, obviously, I'm getting my family out. We're in the car, and we're good. But, like, how is God leading us in those small ways? You know, God forbid you might meet some of your neighbors this way. God might be calling you to meet some of these people. There are big ways and small ways. And for families who lost their home to fire, this is going to be a very, very different Christmas season, isn't it? This is, going to, this is, this is a Christmas unlike any other. And we were in our preaching meeting the other day, um, we we're challenging each other with ideas related to this. And, and the idea was thrown out, maybe this Christmas should be very different for the rest of us as well. Now, there's a sense of we're all in this together, like we say. There's a sense of we're the light of the world. Maybe, maybe we should all be throwing out our Christmas list or, or scratching out the names of people on our lists and going out and meeting people who have true need in our community. How am I going to change so that the light of Jesus can shine in the city of Ventura? How am I going to change? Like, Jesus changed where he lived. He changed uh, the location of his ministry, Ministry HQ, right? He moved it up into this broken place. How am I going to change to help bring the kingdom of heaven to the people who are hurting and dwelling in darkness? The whole world, the Bible says, longs for a Savior. As we prepare our hearts and as we prepare our families for Christmas, let's remember that there are many in our community who dwell without hope in darkness. Let's remember that Jesus is the light of the world. Let's remember that Jesus has brought us into his kingdom of heaven and that in Christ, in Christ, we are the light of the world. We have been commanded to bring the kingdom of heaven to the hurting in our community and church. This is the time, this is the season right now to do that. God is calling us to be the church, to shine the light of Jesus, Just as Israel longed and groaned for a Savior, so Ventura and Ventura County longs for the light, for the kingdom of heaven to come on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to read a passage from Isaiah right now in closing. This is true of the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 9. It says, Then you will call, and the Lord will answer you will cry and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, if you remove the pointing of the finger, the speaking wickedness, right? If you would remove the divisiveness, if you would stop being obsessed with the the politics of our nation, right? If you would stop the the finger pointing, the speaking wickedness, the talking about other people, the generalizations, the things that keep us from being with people that are different than us. He says, if you would just stop it, stop the speaking of wickedness, and give yourself to the hungry. Satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Then your light will rise in the darkness, and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places. Give strength to your bones. Listen to this. And you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you, Reality Ventura, listen, those from among you, those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations, and you will be called (coughs) the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. These words are true of the kingdom of heaven. May these words be true of his church in the city of Ventura. May they be true of Reality Ventura. In this season, amen. We're gonna take a step now as a church. We're gonna take that first step together of engaging our community, of being the church, of being a light in a dark place. And we're gonna do that by praying together. So um, it may not feel like it to you, but I've cut my sermon very short. And we're gonna break into small groups. Three, four people, whatever, just small groups. And we're going to pray. I've got some prayer points up here. I'm going to read through them. And then what we're going to do is we're going to pray for one set of points for a few minutes and then I'll come up and and usher up the next set of points and we'll just kind of move through these prayer points, okay? First thing we're going to be praying for, we're going to be praying for individuals, for those who have lost their homes, for those who remain evacuated, for those who do not yet know the hope in the light of Jesus. The second way we're going to pray, we're going to pray for the community, for neighborhoods to come together to help one another, for wisdom for city and county leaders and organizations as they make a plan to rebuild and plan for the future. Third way we're going to pray, we're going to pray for the firefighters and the first responders who continue to battle this fire. I don't know if you saw that apocalyptic-looking mushroom cloud above Carpinteria right now, it looks like. Man, we need to be praying for those first responders that are down in that unnatural darkness today for continued protection and safety, physical, mental, and emotional strength, and for unity. And finally, we're going to pray for the church in Ventura to be kingdom-minded. Not just Reality Ventura. We're working with many other churches right now. It's awesome. I love it. Texting and and calling, you know, phone calls between pastors right now. We need to be praying that we would be kingdom-minded as the church. For the light of Jesus to shine bright through his people at this time. For the kingdom of heaven to come in power through his people. And for every Christian to see the needs big and small around them and to meet those needs. For local churches to work together with love and unity to serve our community. And then finally, maybe we should be starting this way. This should be laced in all of our prayers. We should be thanking God for his faithfulness and his protection thus far. God is faithful. So we're going to take a few minutes to pray through these prayer points. Um, So let's, uh, right now, this is awkward, okay? It shouldn't be awkward. Remember, Jesus came into the temple and flipped over the money changers table, and it was like, if you want to talk about an awkward moment in church, he's like, stop doing that. This should be a house of prayer, okay? So tables are flipped over, form little groups, and we're going to be praying for individuals, for those who've lost homes, for those who remain evacuated, for those who do not yet know the hope and the light of Jesus, okay? This is the way we're praying right now. Let's stay focused on our prayer points. Go.